Well, you know, we're beginning a series on Titus, and one of the things I wanted to mention, if you look at your, uh, your, in your bulletin, you'll see there's a place that says Titus Study Group. If, on Wednesday night, it's one of the things that I thought, if you, maybe you haven't or just kind of started coming and you haven't even brought your kids, it's a possibility of a Wednesday night program. We have a great Adventure Club program, and if you do bring your kids, what I wanted to do is also have an opportunity for you to kind of follow along in this series. Um, and, and maybe be a part of a study that goes deeper. So if we do this on, on Sunday mornings, that next Wednesday night, this coming Wednesday night, this, uh, these first few verses, um, there'll be a chance to, to dig a little deeper. Some of you may actually come and bring your kids and go off to like Caribou or something like that or get some errands done. Here's an opportunity for you to connect and maybe go a little deeper in your walk and, and maybe get to know some people. So that's out and back. You can sign up for that. And be a part of that. I won't be leading it. I'll be there for the first part of this um, startup on Wednesday night, just for a few moments to introduce you to Andrea Tatley, who is an MDiv student at Bethel, and she's going to actually lead people into that. So I'm excited about that um, beginning. I also just want to um, share with you that um, this series, as we get into this book of Titus, is uh, or letter of Titus, is, is is something I'm so excited about because it's could easily be called the gospel of goodness. And so this whole theme of good is going to go through all the messages in this series. What I want you to think about for a second is, wouldn't it be great if you could hear from God these simple words, way to believe, good faith, I am proud of your faith, it's good. I hope the next question might be, well, what does it mean to have a good faith? What really is a good belief and trust? And as we get into this first passage, this first few verses of Scripture, that's what I kind of want to explain. And I'll be explaining this this morning in Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And I want you to note that particularly it will be in verse 1, and I don't want you to get nervous if I spend an, an inordinate amount of time in that part of it, and you're kind of going, but there's a whole lot left to go, and it's getting later in the hour. It's purposeful, okay? I say that so you don't let your blood pressure get too high. We'll get out of here by 5 p.m. tonight, I promise. Um, what is a good faith? What does it look like? What does it look like to say you believe well? Well, as we read this passage of Scripture, it begins, and, and we're going we're to kind of explain a little bit of this as we go, but it starts, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith. For the faith. He begins by almost explaining, in a sense, what this good trust is, what it means to believe well or to um, lean upon something. And it's about a faith. It's about a trust in, in this fact that he says, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, you may not have thought of it this way, but the simple belief that God has called you, a good faith is the, is the belief that God is calling to you and has called you. Every person. It doesn't matter um, whether you feel you know a lot about him. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done or whether you've served a whole lot. It's basically this trust that there is this maker who has made you. There is this father who is your father and he loves you and he is calling you to be a participant, as, as it was said here, to see what he's doing and to join in with that. And anybody can do that. That's even the smallest mustard seed of faith 
can trust that there is this God who loves you and wants to provide a way that is not something that you have to measure up and work towards and, and somehow get good enough so that you can join along with him and be a part of, of what he's doing. It's the simple belief where God says, this is a good faith. You trust that I am your maker and I am your father and I am doing things and I just want you to join with me. A good faith accepts that God calls you and that he loves you and that he knows you by name. And as he calls you by name, day in and day out, he leads you to be a servant and an apostle. And I'll explain what that means in the sense of being sent. But before I do that, I just want to share with you, just as we get into this, this little letter, just a few things. Paul begins this letter like almost every other letter that he sends. In that day, there was a scroll that would be sent. And on the outside of the scroll, there would be pertinent information. There would be the sender's, the recipient's name. And then usually a small greeting that would go with it. It'd be similar in some ways. We get these envelopes, and, and when we get an envelope, inside is the content of, of, the, of the letter. But on the outside is the recipient's name, the sender's name. Sometimes it says material enclosed and even shares a little bit of what that is. Well, in that day, they would have a scroll. In order to keep these scrolls and to know what they were, they would have the sender's name, the, the recipient, the sender, and then a small little greeting that would be placed there. And so that's what we have in this letter. And Paul writes um, in this letter, as, as, we, as you read verses 1 through 4, that's the greeting. It is the third longest greeting of about 13 or 14 letters that Paul sends. Only Romans and Galatians are longer. And, and Romans was a long letter, and Galatians was a letter where he really wanted to deal with some issues. And so both those were a little bit longer. Though, even though this has one of the longest, the third longest greeting... It is one of his shortest little books or letters, as we call it. Uh, and unlike other letters of Paul, Paul is writing Titus, who is a, a servant pastor who is shepherding a group of people who are believers in this island in a place called Crete. And he is in this island as, as the one leading some of these people to, to grow in their following of the ways of Jesus. And he writes this letter. To Titus, And instead of like in some of his letters, Paul has a, a long list of what is more theoretical, theological kind of truths, things that you need to know. And then he goes into things you need to do, which are more practical. This letter is a little different because he's writing Titus and he's kind of supposing, you know, these things. Now he's writing a bunch of practical how to's. And it's just a short little letter with a bunch of here's how to you should do these things and teach these people in these ways. And Paul begins in this letter by giving his credentials. A servant and an apostle. So that people would know that he is writing with authority. And he says two things that can, and I believe should be true of everyone. A good faith accepts God's calling. And the very first thing is that we are servants of God. That's true for everybody. We are servants of God. And if you would put it in, in words of apostle, the meaning of sent ones. We are servants of God sent by Jesus. Paul, a servant of God. One sent by Jesus Christ for faith, for helping people understand there is this maker and father who loves them and is calling them to be a part of what he's doing. The Greek word here for servant is, is actually the idea of a bond servant or a slave, and it denotes the idea of ownership. In this case, it meant that one's life was totally submitted and surrendered unto God or to someone else who they have given themselves to. It was a term that was mingled with both humility, because as a servant, you were in a sense saying, I want to do that which you are, are prompting me and, and calling me to do. I am going to respond in that way. 
And at the same time, it's, it's a word mingled with a lot of pride. Paul wasn't saying, I'm just some kind of slave. It's just, just, he's talking about a God who loves him, has a great plan for his life, and desires for him to experience all the goodness because he made him and he knows what it's like and how you can experience that. And so in a sense, he says, I'm this servant who experiences God's good, goodness and through me is allowed to let God's goodness touch other people's lives. And so you get this picture of this servant with his humility, but then also pride because he is serving Not just some wealthy person. He's not serving just some local authority. He's not serving some corporate giant like IBM or Target or some family business. He is serving the God of the universe so that whenever he serves these other things, those of us who work and we are employees of others, we're servants in a sense. We give our time and they give us money. He's saying even below all that, at the root of all that, there is a higher Calling someone who has called you to serve him even in the midst of that and to respond to him. It's interesting. Um, anyone who enters into this relationship with Jesus or is willing to have this good faith that trusts that God as a father is in love with us and has made us. And then we say, um, where are you working and where are you doing things? And I want to just come alongside and assist you in doing that. Anyone who makes that kind of statement is basically saying, as Jesus did, not my will, but thy will. And a good faith is merely trust in this truth that God loves you and he's called you to serve him and to serve others with the very light that you have. Day in and day out, moment by moment, at work, in your neighborhood, as you go to the grocery store, at the gas station, every place, there is a sense of what's your will. Because I know that as I respond and I'm open and I'm sensitive to that, your goodness will flow through me. I'd like for you, because you look a little just like you need to move for a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand up, okay? And I want you to repeat the first part of the Lord's Prayer. If you feel, you don't have to. Whenever we do stuff like this, it's a, you know, you are a free agent. Don't ever feel conscripted. You're a servant, not to me. But I want you, if you feel you want to, just to say this Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Stop. You can be seated. You looked a little tired to me. I thought maybe the standing up would help. You see those words, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And catch this. And if, if you have a Bible open, you can just underline it. On earth, just like it happens in heaven. That's an interesting statement. He's basically saying heaven is often in the Bible refers to the spiritual realm. This idea that there is another dimension, another realm that we don't see. There's a realm where there really are angels. There's a realm, I believe, there are angels. And even as we sing, I think there are angels who are singing and if we had eyes to see, and sometimes people do see into that realm, they see the eyes with their eyes, the angels. There's this idea in this realm called heaven, this place which is not way out there somewhere, but is around us, this realm of the spirit. There are angels who respond as servants to God's bidding. And when God calls them to do something, they respond like that. Jesus is merely praying that we would have this as our prayer, that we would be like God's servants in heaven, and that we would pray for the day when we will obey and serve like the angels in heaven do. Listen to Psalm 103, verses 19 through 21. It really gives us just a little glimpse of what this looks like. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, or the spiritual realm, and his kingdom rules over all. Now listen to this. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants, who do his will. 
What a good faith is, is one that trusts and believes that God does that, and we respond in that same way that the angels would. And, and it's not something that we can do because we're never fully obedient, but it's the heart that wants to respond like that. The heart that wants to, be, to, to grow and to experience more fully what it means to walk in sync with this God of love and how he wants to love through us. I have horses. I live on a hobby farm. We have three horses, quarter horses. I didn't know a lot about horses when I got into them. Don't know a lot about them even today, for that matter. I know enough. Our horses are what I would call are kind of just a little bit better than Greenbroke. You know what Greenbroke is? It means they, um, you got to kind of go, when you're riding them, and pull real hard to get them to turn. It's the idea that they're just learning to respond to your will and to your wishes. They're not great servants, put it that way. I found that when our da- my daughters were younger, we would go to some of these little horse shows on Saturdays, and we would do barrel racing and pole weaving and these different kind of races. I found out that our horses just, you know, when we took them, I mean, our girls would get on, they were probably about 8 to 11 years of age, and they would have to yank to turn them to get them around, and the horse would go a little bit wider. than. And then there were some people who rode horses. They looked like the girls were maybe four years of age on these huge horses. And the horse would take off, and I never saw the girl hardly do anything. It just went back in incredible times. It was, I mean, they were just so responsive and trained. We used to call those like push-button horses. You, know, you pull or you have the push-button. What I found out as I learned more about, about horses is there are some horses that are so well-trained that are such good servants to the prompting of the person riding that all you have to do with your heel, some of you know this, how many have ridden horses and have some understanding? All you have to do is touch, right? Just barely touch it. And they, they turn and they go the direction you're supposed to be. It's a wonderful experience, I guess. In fact, they're so good that they can even, with the shift of your weight, know what you want. And I think about that often. And I go, when I read that, your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. And I think of the angels like those push-button horses, those horses that are so well-trained that they respond at his bidding. I just think sometimes, what if my heart was like that? What if your heart was like that? What if our hearts were like that? What if those kind of hearts went out into the world where we lived? And when God would, would, would push and, and he, would, he would touch us, we would respond. And we would respond in such a way that it would touch other people's lives so that their lives would feel the very hand of God or the voice of God into their spirit. That's called bringing heaven, in a sense, a bit to earth. And that's what we get to do. That's what it means to be a servant. There's also the word apostle. He says every Christ follower, in a sense, a good faith is one who sees themselves an apostle. And I'll explain this. Not in the same way that Paul did, but in a sense of being like that. The word apostle is an important word to understand. It's similar to many words that we have in the English language that has a number of meanings. And it's determined by its context in Scripture. For instance, if I were to give you the word board, an English word, there's a number of meanings for that, right? There's the word that would be, say, like a piece of wood, which is a sawed piece of lumber. It's a board. Good. A collective group of meals which covers room and not a piece of wood, right? An authoritative body of people like a board of directors, right? There's the idea that you move into a state of weariness because someone's really dull. It's called being, it's not the same word, but anyway, I um, thought I'd have fun with you. That's a little different. Anyway, 
There's three ways in the context in Scripture that the word apostle is used. An apostle was one of the twelve who followed Jesus, who were eyewitnesses of Jesus, who were appointed by Jesus. And Paul himself says, I was one as abnormally born because Jesus appeared to him and called him and sent him into ministry. There's also what I call today, an and let me just say, apostles in that sense of the word don't exist today. If you think you are one, that's not a good faith, okay? An apostle in the sense of gift or office is found throughout Scripture. There's more than 12. In fact, there are many times in the New Testament. Romans 16, verse 7 says, Greet Antrochus and Junias. They were outstanding among the apostles. Well, I don't remember those among the 12. Acts 14, 14. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes. There's this idea of a specialized gift or office which is recognized by the church, which is a one who is called in a special way with a gift to start things and to actually establish a foundation. And that foundation would be built on what would be called apostles that I believe happened back in the New Testament and, and must have happened earlier and later on to, in, throughout the life of the church because there was warnings against false apostles. Well, we all knew who the twelve were, so if they, one of the twelve didn't show up, it had to be some other kind of apostle. Those are someone who is gifted due to this work to establish new ministries, to found new ministries, and on these foundations would come along prophets who would speak God's word for the moment. Not holy scripture word, but word for the moment that would keep things with integrity and true in the building of this. And then there would be evangelists who would come. If you, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, it says that would come and they would help fill the house with people who would come into this relationship with God. And the pastors would come and care and teachers would come and they would teach and help build the whole thing. Now, there's a third meaning, and this is the one I want to apply to everyone here today. Because there are some who are gifted in the the sense of evangelists, some who are gifted in the sense of prophets, and some who are gifted in apostles, and gifted in in works of administration, and gifted in the sense of leadership. They have this specific gift. But then it says in Scripture that everyone should share their faith. It says in Scripture that everyone should give. Everyone should, in in some sense, uh, be a part of these different kind of giftings, using those gifts for the good of other people. There is a sense the apostle, in its broadest term, most applicable to all of us today, means that we are sent by Jesus as messengers of Jesus to do these kind of tasks that God has called us to do. Galatians 1. Paul says an apostle sent from men, not more, nor by man, but by Jesus Christ. And he goes on to define what that means. In its most basic sense, an apostle is merely one sent by God with a mission. And in this sense, all of us are sent by Jesus. We may all have the gift of giving advantage and other things, but we all have the ability to be sent out into the places we live. In fact, that's what it means. As servants who are responsive, just like those push-button horses, we're called to serve other people. We're called to serve this one who loves us. And as we do so, we go out in our daily life, in our moment-to-moment life. We are to be, in a sense, those, those gentle reminders, those touches from God in the lives of others. We all have a, a responsibility to be on a mission of loving people. And here's what it says that I think is interesting as we look at this. Paul says we're servants of God, ones ready to do what he says, sent by Jesus Christ for a particular task. And here's what you need to look at. He goes and he says, faith and the knowledge of the truth that leads to, here's what it's about, to godliness. A good faith is one who recognizes they're called to serve and they're sent. But a good faith leads always to godliness. Good faith leads to some kind of works. Good faith is not just inactive. It's actively about something. 
But what he's saying here, it's not about necessarily just doing things. He's saying it's about godliness. It's about becoming something. It's about becoming like God. It's about our character being conformed like Christ. It's the idea that as we ourselves, the the being of who we are, become in, in a relationship with God where we begin to experience his love and we move into this relationship where he heals our hearts and he begins to deal with things that we've, maybe patterns of sin that we've grown up with in, in our family or in other places where we have chosen. He begins to heal those things and move those things. He begins to heal us so that within that, within that healing, that sense of being, we begin to do good things. I will say it often. It's one of the things that God has taught me. Out of well-being comes well-doing. And what he says here, a good faith is one who participates as servants, sent out to do certain things, but before you get any further than that, that kind of good faith should always lead to some kind of change, some kind of growth. Over time, something happens within you that you can no longer be like you were at one time. You are now changing and becoming more and more like God. And that doesn't mean that you become more condemning or self-righteous or those kind of... It's not those kind of things. It's about the kind of person who loves and out of this developing love within yourself and that God is beginning to do within you comes out of you goodness to other people. That's what Paul is writing about here. That's what he's most concerned about. In fact, this is the gist of everything in this letter. That little line that says it leads to godliness. Because in that day, the people that he was writing to, he was writing to Titus and he was saying, you know what? The people who claim to follow Christ, they say a lot of things about God and they say a lot of things about Jesus, but their lives don't reflect it. In fact, they talk a lot about it, but it doesn't show it in the way they live. And we are in a similar place today within our world. We have to recognize we live in a world today where our generation underneath me is kind of going, we've heard a lot. We've heard it from the pulpit. We've heard it from evangelists. We've heard it from politicians. We've heard it from all kinds of people, but let's see it. And so here's what he says. It leads to becoming like God. In fact, if we go through this, 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 this little letter could be called the gospel of goodness. I'm going to list to you in, in just these few chapters how many times he says this. Note how many times Paul encourages Titus to have his people prove their faith by allowing the goodness that God has given to them pour through their lives as servants as they're sent out to do the works of God. Chapter 1, verse 8, he says, one who loves what is good. Chapter 1, verse 16, he contrasts the world around them who claim to know God and who claim to be godly, but by their actions deny they really know him. He says they are unfit for anything good. Chapter 2, verse 3, but teach what is good. Chapter 2, seven. Chapter two verse 7, set an example by doing what is good. And there, the idea that nothing bad can be said. Chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. Chapter 2, verse 14. A people that are His very own, eager to do what is good. Chapter 3, verse 1. Remind people to, do, to be ready to do whatever is good. Kind of get the picture here? He doesn't stop, though. Chapter 3, verse 8. May be careful. May they be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. Chapter 3, four, verse 14. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good. I just get done with it and I go, you know what? Sharing our faith is really pretty simple. Yes, there is a verbal thing that we're to share, but I think a lot of what it is is just saying, God, I'm your servant today. I wake up this day. I want you to be working in me. I want to be participating in what you want. I want like that horse, that little prompting that when you prompt me, I'll do it. And what will come out of me is good towards someone else. Because you know what? 
God's Holy Spirit can do a work outside of us, but he's chosen to use you and me. He's chosen to use anybody who with a good faith just raises their hand and says, I'm ready to do what is good. I'm serious, God. And by his Holy Spirit, he uses your flesh to reach out and to touch someone, to say something encouraging and comforting to someone. He uses you to send a note to someone. He uses you to call someone. He uses you to come to someone and say, you know what? I was really, really wrong in this. I ask you for forgiveness. And the person goes, man, I've never heard that at work. It's just about doing good. Can anybody not do that? It's really pretty simple. And that's what this whole thing is about. He says it leads to godliness because godliness is really the sense of, of, of a relationship with God that when you grow in him, it's not about all the activities you can do at church. In fact, it's more about the activities you do in life with other people, in community with other people. It's not about all that you can do and what you give here and what all that stuff. It's about this, that you have a life that your character, your being is becoming more loving. It's becoming more peace filled. It's becoming more filled with joy. It's becoming patient and kind and good. Remember the fruits of the spirit? That's the essential thing. That's what faith leads to. And if faith leads to that in your being, it will then also lead to it in what you do, and it will be good. So Paul leads, this is all in his little introduction. I've expanded a little bit on it. But anyway, um, a good faith then is based upon hope. What else? A good faith rests on this basic, confident expectation of God's goodness to us. The idea that when you do good, it's not that you look for someone to do good to you. It's not the idea that you do good and good for return. It's the idea, remember the thing we sing, be good for what? Goodness sake. It's the confident expectation that there's a God up there who will reward in his time and when it's right. And it's a confident expectation, as he says, of faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life. The idea of eternal is not merely that someday when I die, God will reward me. It is that. But even more than that, eternal is the sense of quality of life. It's the kind of life, not just quantitative for years to come. It's a quality of kind of life. It's a kind of life that as you live this life and the goodness of God begins to pour on you and it pours out of you, you will experience life in a way you've never experienced before. Yeah, you'll have trials and you go through difficult times, but you'll be in a relationship with this God and you'll be actively serving with him in such a way that God's goodness will begin to flow into your heart and people will see it and you'll know it. Let me read verses 2 and 3. We'll go through these very quickly. It's a hope based on God's promise, he says, his word. Paul wants us to know that this hope is based on nothing less than God's word. And then he goes on, this promise is based on God's character. This is what these last verses say. God, who, by the way, he doesn't lie, he is always truthful. If his word is said, his character backs it up. God's promise was given, he says, at the beginning of time. It wasn't something recently made. It wasn't some whim that he had. It wasn't something that uh, some kind of Johnny-come-lately plan that God had to reestablish. Oh, man, I, you know, this turned here and i got to do this. God, from the very beginning of time, had planned for us to experience this kind of life with him. God's promise, and then he says, was recently revealed. God brought his word to light, and his word that he brought to light, the fullness of who God is, is in Jesus. That's what he's basically saying. 
I mean, if, if you're here and you're, you're trying to say, and I'm just checking out church, I'm checking out what it means to walk with God, and I'm just, you know, I've been burnt by believers, I don't like the judgmentals, all this different stuff, let me just tell you, if there's one thing you should do, it is look at Jesus. When he says God's promise was recently revealed, it was something from the beginning, but it was revealed just recently, it's that God himself showed up so much in Jesus, if you look at his life, you will see God. And the reality is that, that as we live, people are to see God, like Jesus. And he ends this letter, and he says, after this little greeting, he says, To Titus, my true son, in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Now I want you to think about it. Here's the summary statement that I've written that I believe says what Paul is saying. It's Meyer's paraphrase, okay? If I was to rewrite this, it would be, We are servants of God sent by Jesus to live godly lives, basically loving, teaching, and doing good at every and any chance we can. With the faith and knowledge that God has the best life both now and forever planned for us. What I want you to do this week is to, is to just consider as we close. I, I'm, I want to be this servant, God. I want to be sent by you into, into the places that I go this week. And I just want you to take some time as we close here to think about God, is there one good thing? Is there something that you are right now even talking to me about that I might need to do that, or I could do that could show up in someone's life like Jesus? I'm going to ask you just to bow your head, and I'll close in just a second. But just prayerfully. God may speak to you. He may not. It may be like as you've got your head, your, your head bowed, and, and you kind of just if you want to close your eyes, whatever. It may be that you'll have a sense or a prompting, and you may go, well, that's kind of strange. But, you know, go with it. God does some strange things. He had Noah build an ark. If it's something good. So just take a moment. Maybe through this week, if you just keep in this posture of a servant that has this good faith that trusts that the maker, Father, has, is working, and he just is going to call you with him to do something this week. He's going to call you to do something good that he wants to do. I'm going to read this to you as I close. This person writes, I've gotten a new taste of what love is the past few months while trying to right the wrongs at my school in South Africa. Oprah writes, a dormitory matron was accused of sexual and physical abuse at the Oprah Winfrey Leadership Academy for Girls. Seeing how emotionally draining this time has been for me, people reached out with their encouragement. People I knew well and many I had never met built a bridge of, of good and goodness and support allowing me to laser focus on doing what was necessary moment by moment to help each girl. Every note or message felt like an embrace, like the greatest valentine anyone could receive. There are so many acts of goodness. To know that people care about how you're doing when your doings are not, aren't so good, that's what love is. To know that people care about how you're doing when the doings aren't so good. That's what love is. I feel blessed to know this for sure. One day while I was doing my show, my friend B.B. Winan, and for the, those of you who don't know, B.B. Winan and C.C. Winan are just strong believers, servants of God. She says, one day I was doing my show, B.B. Winan was in the audience, and I said, B.B., why are you here? I asked during a commercial break. She said, no one told me you were coming. I just came to see you and see how you're doing, he said. That's strange, I thought, but continued with the show. Afterward, he followed me to my office and said, there's something I came to tell you. And as I sat behind my desk, he started singing what he knows is my favorite hymn. 
started singing, I surrender all. I surrender all to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. Over since I sat silently, closed my eyes and opened myself to this, to this, to accepting his magnificent and humble offering, his act of goodness, this gift of love and song. And when he finished, I felt a release of all the pressure to do anything, and I was content just to be. And for the first time in weeks, I experienced pure peace. And when I opened my eyes and wiped away the tears, B.B. was beaming. He started laughing, his ha-ha-ha laugh, low laughing. Gave me a big hug. Girl, he said, I just came to remind you, you don't have to carry this load all by yourself. You can surrender all. And in that moment, I did. I believe there's moments like that that God's calling us to. And they're not moments to go and judge other people, but they're moments in times of hurt and pain that God's calling us to say, put it all aside, just go. Because they need to feel me. They need your goodness.